For those of you that are joining us for the first time, I'm John. I'm so glad that you're here with us today, kicking off the new year together. Um, and uh, we're going to start off with a, a, about four weeks um, in one small series, and then we're getting ready to launch into groups in, at the beginning of February, as Jess already mentioned. When we start groups, I think we're going to be starting the Gospel of Luke. I don't know. Things might change. Don't hold me to that, but maybe we're starting the Gospel of Luke. How long will it take? I have no idea. We will see. All right, but I think we're starting Luke in um, February, but we're going to do something a little different over the next four weeks. I always like to start the year off with a uh, starty of the yeary kind of thing, right? Just something to help get things kicked off, because I know we're making a lot of decisions. We're thinking about what this year looks like, thinking about our schedules and about choices and lifestyles and careers and school and all that kind of stuff. And so we kind of want to start with a little bit of foundation setting at the beginning of the year. Um, so I don't know how many of you are resolution-y kind of people. I am not. Um, I don't need to I don't need to fail. Like, I don't need to set myself up for failure, <laughs> but I don't know. I do try to start some different things at the beginning of the year, but some of you might be resolutionary people. But a lot of those things are, are, are personal health things. It might be, you know, mental health things, or it might be physical health things or other stuff like that. But what we're going to start off talking this year about is relationships. Now, and that's a very important thing for our church. Obviously, we center our ministry around this, um, and we, we've literally started a center for this, <laughs> the, the family center. Um, we're going to spend the next four weeks in Ephesians chapter 4, so if you want to go ahead and get there, you can. But one of the things that I have learned, and you've probably learned this along with me, and the longer that I'm around, the more I'm convinced of this, or the more convinced of this that I am, that really relationships are the only thing that matter. Amen. I mean, literally, your your, your life can be in the tank, okay? I mean, your job, schoolwork, or athletics, or whatever, your finance, like, that stuff can be in the tank. But if your relationships are good, if you've got good people that you know and trust and love around you, and if your relationship with God is good, and you feel in tune with him and what he wants you to do, you can get through any of that stuff, any of those issues that you have going on. Uh, but if your relationships are in the tank, it doesn't matter how good everything else is going. You could be at the peak of your career or athletic, you know, accomplishments or schoolwork or, 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 you know, your house may be exactly like you want, you renovated it and it's exactly like you want and you just got the car that you wanted and you can have all of those things in place in your life. And if your relationships are in the tank, your life is in the tank. It just is. Everything rises and falls on our relationships with other people and with God. And I think that's, you know, part of that we see in what Jesus says, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, everything else depends on this. And even further than that, not just the law and the prophets depend on that, but all of our life depends on that. So the best way, the best thing that we can think about as we get started with the year is, how do I make my relationships as healthy as they can be this year? How do I make my relationship with God, first and foremost, as healthy as it can be this year? And how do I make my relationships with the people that are around me uh, more, the most healthy that they can be? And that's what, that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive into Galatians chapter 4 in order to see some of the how and how to do that. But before we get into Galatians 4, if you are new with this, we, we love to teach Scripture here. And usually we're in a series. We do topical stuff like this every now and then. But um, usually we're in a book, we're in a, a, a passage of scripture or something, because I always like for the scripture to be leading where we're going rather than the other way around. And so I like to pick a passage. So I'm picking Galatians 4, and we're going to work our way through that over the next four weeks. 
And, um, but in order to understand why Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, we need to, or in order to understand what he's saying here, we need to understand why he wrote it. Um, and that's one of the dangers of scripture. You drop in a scripture without understanding what the author is talking about and who he's talking to, and we can easily get bad applications out of that. So in order to understand what he's talking about in Galatians 4, I need to back up just a little bit, or Ephesians. Listen, forgive me. We just, we just did uh, like a 13, 14, 15 week series in Galatians in the fall. And so it's just like right at the front of my brain. So if I say Galatians, it's not, it's Ephesians. Okay. I'm running fast in my head right now. Okay. So uh, Ephesians chapter four. So in order to understand what Paul's saying to the Ephesians, uh, we need to understand what's happening in their church. The, it, Ephesus is not a traditionally Jewish area. Most of the people who live in Ephesus are, are Gentiles, what the scripture calls Gentiles, non-Jews. They come from tons and tons of different backgrounds. The, Ephesus is a port city. And so Ephesus, like you think of a port city today, highly diverse, lots of trade, lots of coming and going. So there's lots of different people, lots of different backgrounds, lots of different ethnicities, lots of different religious beliefs. This is just a melting pot of a place. And when the gospel takes hold in Ephesus, um, there, are, there are people that have been Jews their entire life that have accepted Jesus as the Messiah that was prophesied about, that was talked about through the entire Old Testament. They've accepted Jesus. And so the church is starting, but you've got these people that are like way down the line who have all of this knowledge and all of this experience and all of this, have had a relationship with God, the one and only God, for the, maybe their entire lives, now fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. But you've also got these people that are accepting Jesus and coming into the church that don't know anything about anything. <laughs> and so you take those people, some what, what would be the most mature Christians at the time, and you put them together with completely immature baby Christians, and there was a lot of conflict. And, and we talked about this in our study of Galatians because the same thing was true there. And so there was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of um, positioning, self-righteous positioning among Christians. Well, I'm a Jewish believer, and so I have this history, and I know all of these things, and you don't know these things. So somehow, in that case, I'm better than you are, or I'm higher on a higher rung than you are. A lot of this kind of stuff going on. And Paul needs to absolutely crush that mentality within the church. And so that's what he's doing in, in Ephesians, that's the, one of the major themes of Ephesians. He is uh, in uh, chapter 3 talking about how this mystery has been revealed. Uh, and a mystery, when that's talked about in Scripture, a mystery is something that wasn't revealed before but is revealed now. And in this case, he's talking about the mystery of the Gentiles becoming a part of the church. The fact that the church is for everyone, which was mind-blowing for a lot of the Jews at the time. And so it's creating all this conflict within the church, and he's trying to help them understand when they have different backgrounds and different understandings and different worldviews and different experiences and all of that, trying to help them understand how to live together, how to coexist together in the gospel, and how to have peace. And so that's what we're going to be talking about in Galatians chapter 4. There's going to be a lot of the how, but just I want to read you a little bit from Ephesians chapter 3 just to help us again. Did I say Galatians again? Yeah. Just keep a count. Get, somebody give me a count when we're done. All right. From here on, he, from here on, whether I say Galatians or Ephesians, it's Ephesians. Okay. Can you just autocorrect for me? Just in your own mind as we go through. I'm not going to talk about Galatians again. Not, not one more time for the rest of the message. That's my commitment to you. So just autocorrect for me. Okay. It's a new year, man. This is how we're starting. This is great. All right. 
I appreciate that. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, just for, again, for a little bit of context. For this reason, this is Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth, in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a beautiful and powerful passage. But when you understand it in its context, it takes on a little bit different flavor. Because you can just read that on its own, and it's beautiful and it's powerful. But what he just talked about was the mystery of the Gentiles being part of the church. So this entire thing, and then what he's going to talk about in chapter four, uh, chapter four is how to live in unity and harmony and peace with one another. So this, this is the sandwich, right? The two pieces of bread are all about community and relationships and fellowship with each other. So he didn't change subjects when he said this. When he says, I want you to experience, he said, I want Christ to dwell in you richly. Why? Because Christ dwelling in you richly is going to help you to relate to each other the way you're supposed to. This is the context. So it's taking on that, that, that flavor, that, that bent. He says, I want Christ to dwell in you richly. You need to be rooted and grounded in love. That's relational. Okay? It reconciles the Jew and the Gentile and brings them together. Now, I know today for us, Jew and Gentile is not like it was for them then. That was a very well-known cultural and societal rift and it doesn't exist the same way for us today. We have our own cultural and societal rifts within, within our church, within our families, within our schools and workplaces. There are tons of different kinds of people around us, and there are tons of different kinds of people within the church. So how do we, how do we get re- reconcile and get past those things? All right, rooted and grounded in love. And he says, I want you to, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints right, Jew and Gentile together, that you may comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what does he want? He wants the Christians that are in Ephesus to experience the fullness of the relationships that he has created for them both the relationship with God, but the relationship with each other, the height, and he's going to all the dimensions, the height and the depth and the width and the length, the fullness of it. And I don't know if you've ever, I hope that you have experienced in your life the fullness of that love that you experience when you're not only in fellowship with God, but when you're in close fellowship with another person, that connection, the depth and the width and the height of that relationship. And I, I don't know, if you've ever experienced that, you're probably like me. I want to experience that all the time. <laughs> I want all of my relationships to be like that, but that takes work. It takes effort on our part to build those kinds of relationships that are safe and fulfilling and joyful and hopeful and encouraging and challenging and all the things that those relationships need to be. You want to experience community and love. This is something that personally I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, just just mentioned when she was doing host comments, we just went home for Christmas. And uh, I'm not going to go into detail about this, but in my family, there's a lot of tension. My, my blood family. There's a lot of tension between people in the family. 
that have different views about things or are working through different things that have different recollections of memories. And, and it is really tense when we get together. In fact, my family, my, my sort of, you know, nuclear family unit um, doesn't ever get together unless I'm home. So I'm kind of like the you know, I bring everybody together, I guess. <laughs> I'm the middle child. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, so so yeah, everybody will get together when we come home because there is so much tension between different parts of the family that people are caught in the middle of. And, and it's, it, it's a mess. And the whole time I was home, there was just, unless it was just me with my parents, when the whole family unit was together, I just never felt any peace. I felt like I was walking on eggshells the entire time. It's like, what can I say? What can I say? What memories can I bring up? What memories can't I bring up? Am I going to trigger this person? And now we're going to have a big pro. I don't want that. I don't want, we've we got a lot going on in our family right now. I've mentioned this. I don't think I put anything on the prayer page yet, but both of my parents have health problems going on, like serious ones. My dad has uh, prostate cancer and they're going to be able to remove it, but they don't know what else is there. So he's got, he's dealing with that. My mom is, has to have, it's a long story, but my mom needs to have brain surgery and they're trying to decide, they're, they're going to see a doctor tomorrow, but they're trying to decide where they're going to go. And I think they're going to ultimately end up going out to Stanford um, to the best guy in the world who does this surgery because it's scary. And so we're home and we're trying to work through all of that stuff. But while we're trying to work through all that stuff, there just isn't, there isn't to me an environment of safety or peace or, or, or agreement on, on all things and so this tension exists in the air that is hovering over this whole situation that's going on. And it, I, like, I love my family and I love being there, but it was so hard. It was so hard to live in that kind of, um, that kind of environment. And, and some of you, now listen, I live 12 hours away from that. So when, <laughs> when, when, we, when, we, you know, when we came back home, it was crazy because we came back home and, and I know some of you, you, you can't get away <laughs> from the situation that you're in. So, so, so you've got a lot to work through. You've got a lot to figure out. And, and that's what I think this, this entire series is going to be really helpful for you. Understanding how to live in harmony and when to do it. And how there's a lot of how, a lot of practical as we go through. And I got to get to that. But, um, but when we came back and then we spent New Year's Eve with some of our friends from, from church, uh, it was so different. It's just like, these relationships are so different. These relationships feel comfortable. They feel safe. They feel unified. They feel easy in a way. They feel they, like this is, this is what I want to live in day to day. This is what God created us for. And so it was such a contrast. And so if you look at your life, look around at the relationship that you have and be thinking about all of that as we go into Ephesians chapter 4. And look at some of the how of this. We're just going to do three verses today, so we'll keep it, I want to keep it short. We're doing communion at the end of the service today, too, so I want to make sure we have plenty of time for that. Um, and don't stress out our kids, folks, with all the kids. Um, so let's look at the first three verses, and then we'll, we'll break them apart. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, if we can stop... I promise I'm not going to do this all the way through. Uh, I promise. <laughs> Jess is like, oh, no, he's going to stop every word. No. Uh, I, therefore, this is an old cliche. You've heard it. If you've been around, you've heard it a hundred times. You've probably heard this a thousand times. I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to keep saying it because it needs a ring in our head every time we see it. But anytime you see the word, therefore, you need to look to see what it's 
therefore, right? There, so the therefores, you got to look at the context to understand what the person is saying. We've already done that. So check mark. Good job. But anytime you're reading in scripture and you see that word, pay attention. Look a little bit earlier just to make sure what that is therefore. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So what's the therefore? That they're supposed to live in harmony and unity in the church. That's the therefore. So we're going to walk worthy of the calling to which we were called. Two, verse two, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So as we go into this year, I want to encourage you to make a commitment along with myself and say that this year I will commit to be a person of peace. I will commit to be a person of peace. Now this does, and again, we're going to work through this, but it does look different in our relationships with people that we know are believers because we have an agreed upon foundation on which our relationship is built. It does look a little bit different with non-believers who don't have that agreed upon foundation on which it's built. And so we got to think through those things in our relationships. But in these three verses, there are a few things that jump right out to me and how we can be a person of peace this year. All right, the first thing is that I need humility. He uses the word lowliness. I need humility. We talk about this all the time. It's one of the core values of our church, to be humble. I need to be humble. The word that Paul uses literally means a deep sense of one's littleness. It's particularly moral littleness. One of the things uh, that Paul said, I think it's in chapter 3, I think it's in Ephesians chapter 3. He said uh, that I, he called himself the chief sinner, the chief among singer, sinners. Even Paul, the great Paul, the writer of half of the New Testament, Paul, the the planter of churches, the evangelist, the apostle, all of these things. Even he said, I'm the worst sinner there is. We need to be honest about who we are and the fact that we have failed God. And what that does is that puts us in the right mentality, the right mental space to be in a relationship with someone else. But if we come to a relationship with someone else and we are prideful or arrogant or self-centered rather than being humble, it will erode that relationship from the inside out. Just dig a hole right under it. Now, particularly if we put this in context, he's talking to them about the Jews' self-righteousness. Okay? So they are thinking that they are better or higher or more advanced, more spiritual than the Gentile believers who have come in. And so there's this, this battle thing that's going on among, um, amongst them. So it's like, yeah, yeah, Gentiles, you know, Yeah, you're in. Yes, we know. We believe what Paul said. You're in, but like just by the skin of your teeth, you know, (laughs) which begs me to wonder, whoever came up with that phrase, like what was going on with your teeth? But nevertheless, (laughs) you're in, but you're just in. You're just in, right? Like we're up here and you're down here. But that is not how we are supposed to think about ourselves, particularly within the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ, the first thing that happens for us is we have to recognize that we're sinners. Before we, before we accept Jesus, there has to be the recognition that we are sinners. 
and that we come to him with nothing. We come to him with no good works, that we, we haven't earned anything from him. We simply come to the foot of the cr- cross holding nothing, earning nothing, meriting nothing. We come to the foot of the cross and we accept Jesus. And we accept him as Savior. That's how we are saved. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose again on the third day. We don't bring anything to that. And so we have to recognize that and remember that through our entire life and make sure that we are humble. Paul said to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness, there's the same word again, in lowliness of mind, esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. If I think highly of myself, and this is true for my relationship with God, and this is true of my relationship with everybody else in my life. If I think highly of myself, I will never have peace in my relationships. I'll never have it. I think this is really, I think this is a very counter, sort of countercultural thing to say. Because our culture tells us you need to think highly of yourself. You need to esteem yourself. Your self-esteem needs to be through the roof. You need to be confident. You need to think all like you're the best. And it's not true. They're lying to you. They're lying to me about that. I need to think soberly about myself. And I need to look at my relationships and realize that I'm not in this relationship to get out of the relationship. I'm in this relationship to put into the relationship. This person does not exist to serve me If that's the basis of the relationship, it will erode from the very beginning. If my relationship with God is based on that, if I think that God exists to serve me, it will absolutely destroy and corrupt my relationship with him. And that's, by the way, a very strong vein in Christianity right now. That you see it all the time, you hear it all the time in music, God exists to serve me. It's not true. I exist to serve him. My job is to serve him. My wife and I are not married so that she can do things for me even though she does, and it's great. I'm thankful for it. But I'm not in a relationship with her so that I can get something out of her. I'm not in a relationship with her so that she can serve me. My job in the relationship is to be humble and to serve her. And then I hope that she takes the same position and she is humble and she chooses to serve me. That's what a healthy relationship is built on, a relationship with God and a relationship with other people. We have to be humble. Practically, as I look back at my own life, In all the seasons and times in my life where I thought, I really need to look out for myself, has that ever brought me peace? Not for me. Never. It's only ever brought me conflict. But when I've chosen to look out for someone else's interest, when I've chosen to be humble, that's where I've experienced the most joy, the most peace, the most comfort, the most safety, the most fulfillment in relationships. We have to be humble. So I have to recognize my littleness before God and I need to accept him first and foremost and his gift on the cross and continue to recognize my littleness and his greatness. And in all of my relationships, I need to recognize my littleness before the people that I love and serve and never, ever, ever take a holier than thou mentality, but always look and say, I could have made the same thing. I could have made the same mistake. I could have done the same thing. I have done the same thing. I have made the same mistake. Always remembering and being Humble. So that's humility, lowliness. That's the first thing. Second thing is meekness. Now he used the word gentleness. 
Um, I like the word meekness. There are synonyms here, um, but they get the same idea across. It's having power but not exerting it in kindness, okay? Having power but not exerting it in kindness. You think about the, the, the Jews. They had tons of experience and tons of spiritual knowledge and, and, and tons of history and all the worship practices and all kinds of things that they could go back to. They had all of that, but they're not supposed to use that as a club to beat down the, the Gentile believers, so meekness or gentleness. And then Paul says to the Galatians, and when I told you I wasn't going to talk about Galatians earlier, I lied. So I'm not off to a great start. <laughs> I forgot this verse was in here. Actually, when I was reading Philippians, I looked over and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to apologize when I get there. Uh, Galatians chapter 1, we just studied this, okay? Galatians chapter we just studied this uh, last year, um, like at the beginning of December. Uh, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, and if you remember back to our series, if you were here, you remember that means that this, this word connotates somebody who is running from sin, but is sin, sin being faster overtakes them. All right, so this is somebody who is being humble. This is somebody who's trying to grow, somebody who's trying to honor God, and sin has, has caught them. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. There's the word, in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourselves, lest you also be tempted. So being meek or being, uh, being gentle is enabled by humility. It's fueled by humility. So we have to be humble first in order to be gentle and meek. And now the opposite of that in a relationship, when we're not being meek or we're not being gentle, that might look like uh, putting other people down, Right, or trying to put them in their place. It might be um, always correcting someone, because when you correct them, when you constantly are correcting them, you know, I think what you mean is, that can easily be positioning, right? Showing that you have more knowledge, or you have more experience, or you are holier, or you are whatever. It might look like in a relationship, constantly bringing up someone's past mistakes, over and over and over again, because I got to bring that thing back out, because when I bring that thing back out, it puts you down and lifts me up. That's the opposite of meekness. It's the opposite of gentleness. And a lack of humility, what happens is a lack of humility will lead to, instead of gentleness and meekness, it will lead to this positioning battle in our relationships, where I have to constantly be trying to get up above you. So that means pushing you down and lifting myself up. And once you start that cycle in a relationship, it's a fast, fast trip to the bottom. All right? And that happens all the time in our relationships. So we need to be meek. When we see, when we look at the example of Jesus, who was mind-blowingly humble. I mean, if there's ever been anyone who lived who had a right not to be humble, <laughs> it was him. Yet he chose to be humble. He chose to humble himself. We look at his example, and we see examples where, where humility meets pride, and the result is not meekness. So when, when humility, Jesus, meets, for example, uh, the money changers in the temple, the money changers in the temple that are taking advantage of people and, and, and are trying to, to, to get wealth for themselves at other people's expense as they're trying to worship. When, when meekness meets arrogance, the result is not peace. The result or, is not, uh, yeah, it's not peace. It's uh, tables getting flipped over. And now 
and he makes a whip <laughs> to drive them. He's released. It's, it's a wild scene. I, I do feel the need to say that was one moment in Jesus' ministry. Some people want to create an entire theology of Jesus out of that one moment. They're like, that's the Jesus I like. And then they want it. They want that Jesus all the time. But that's, that's one example, one specific example. All right. Or, or when, when meekness meets the arrogance of the Pharisees, there's not peace there, right? There's not peace there. But when you look in scripture and meekness meets meekness, when humility meets humility, what we see are some of the most incredible moments in the entire scripture. When Jesus, in all his power, choosing to be humble, is faced with a woman who's caught in adultery, who is literally being, being so socially humbled publicly, who's brought out, she's caught in the act of adultery and she's brought out in front of everyone. And they say, what do we do to this woman? When Jesus' humility and meekness meets her humility, what we see is unbelievable peace and restoration. We see him look at her and say, I don't condemn you. He could have, right? He says, I don't condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So it's not just, it's not just I'm here with you, I'm on, I'm, I'm on the level with you here. It's not just I love you, it's not just grace, it's also transformation. And that's what happens in these kinds of relationships. Real change happens. Real connection happens. Genuine, honest, loving, caring connection, community, and fellowship when we are humble and we are meek. So we need humility, we need meekness, and third, we need patience. Now... <laughs> He says long-suffering. This is not just patience like, okay, let's just wait. You know, <laughs> It's not the kind of the, the momentary patience we're really thinking about. This is a bigger picture thing. So when you have, and you think about a relationship where maybe you're more spiritually mature than someone else, you've been a believer a longer time, uh, you're choosing humility and meekness, maybe they're not yet, all those kinds of things, those, those tough relationships. We need to have long-suffering. Okay, we need to be, we need to trust God to be working we need to not react too quickly. And we gotta, we gotta trust as the process goes on. Not reacting too quickly to someone's immaturity, being patient while they grow. You think about the context he's writing to, right? The Jews know all of this stuff. They have all of this experience. The Gentiles, they don't know anything from anything. And he's like, be patient. Like they're gonna, they're gonna make mistakes. They're gonna fail at this. They're gonna figure it out. That it's gonna look different than it looks for you. You just gotta be patient. Long suffering, right? Be patient. All right, when he, uh, when he writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is actually where he calls himself uh, uh, the chief of sinners. I got that confused. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 1 says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because it, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. And so I want you to think about this, particularly in your relationships with people who are not believers, okay? God is patient with them. 
I know that's a, the wild, that's a wild thing. And I struggle with patience because I'm a, I like to make it happen and have it now kind of thing. I would like for people to change right away. People don't change right away, not usually. The people in your life that you're struggling with, I have people like that in my life that I'm struggling with. It takes time. And be patient. And you can't do in them what only God can do in them. And so you need to do what you need to do. You need to choose to be humble. You need to choose to be meek and gentle. You need to choose to be long-suffering and wait on the Lord. And what Paul is saying is he's, I was a sinner. I was, I was blaspheming. I was persecuting the church. I was doing all this stuff. And God just waited. <laughs> While I was doing that, he waited. And then when the time was right, Paul receives Christ. And then he continues to fail. He continues to struggle in his life. But God was patient with him, and that's a pattern that God is patient with people, and we too need to be patient with people. We need to be very careful about our instant moment thing where we as human beings write people off. We say, well, they're never going to change. They can't change. They're never going to change. They're always going to be like that, or they're going the wrong direction. I have, I have people that I love that are like that. I think they're just heading the wrong direction, and they're, they're going further and further and further off the path. And I, I know what they need, but I'm not in a position where I can tell them what they need because they're not in a position to listen to me say that to them right now. So it's frustrating. It's frustrating to have to wait. It's frustrating to feel like you don't have a voice or you can't change them or whatever. You don't have to change them. You have to be humble and meek and patient while God works on them. And maybe they'll listen to him, and maybe they won't. But you still have to long suffer. I, I think about the, the word commitment jumps up to me as I'm reading this, this passage and thinking about this word. I am committed to this person, but I am committed to them for the long haul. And I'm committed to their spiritual best, which is going to come from God, not necessarily from me. Some of you are like, that's why I don't like commitment. I don't want to suffer long. <laughs> I, get, I, I get that. I get that. But that's not what we're talking about. So this is a commitment to the relationship and saying, I'm going to be humble and I'm going to be meek and I'm going to be patient with them. And that might be in the moment and that might be over the long haul. And we do this. As we do this, we are bearing with one another in love. It's love that's fueling and driving this. And the question is, do I really love them? A lot of the times, the reason we write someone off or the reason that we have a bad relationship is because in our heart, we don't really love them. We love ourselves more than we love them. And so the question is, do I love them? And do I want to be in these kinds of relationships? Do I, do, do I want to, to work on that this year? You're not going to fix all your relationships this year. Okay? But they can improve. And so you look at those relationships. It might be family, classmates, work, or whatever, where those are difficult or trying relationships. And you say, okay, i got to choose to be these three things, even if they aren't choosing to be those three things. And I'm going to keep doing that, and I'm going to be patient, and I'm going to wait, and I'm going to keep, and I'm going to be a person of character, integrity, and I'm going to keep doing these things, and keep doing these things, and keep doing these things, and keep doing these things, because God keeps doing these things, and keeps doing these things, and keeps doing these things, and keeps doing these things, relentlessly. And so I am going to do that with those relationships. But while I'm doing that with those relationships, and that's very, that's difficult, I need to have a home base of relationships that are operating where me and the person, the other person are operating in these three things all the time with each other. 
you need to have home-based relationships that he was hoping were gonna be created in this church where Jew and Gentile were gonna be united in love and they were gonna be choosing to be humble and to be meek and to be, to be long-suffering and patient with one another as a home base as they face the rest of the world. And that's what we, Jess and I, have worked so hard at creating in our own life. We spend years and years and years working on that. We feel like we have that now. Some of you have that, and you need to lean on that, whether that's people who are a part of this church with you or whether that's someone else. You need to lean on that together as you deal with all these other difficult relationships. But if you don't have that, that should be priority number one for you this year. To build relationships around you where you and the other people in that relation, the other person in that relationship are choosing these three things. If you don't know where to find that, I can tell you to, to join a group or a team as a part of this church, all right? And, and if you go to a group and you don't feel like it clicks, try another one, do, do another one. You will find people here that you can have that with because we together are committed to being that for each other. And so if you don't have that, that's gotta be a high priority for you this year. That's way more important than losing 50 pounds, okay? I promise you. And it will have a much bigger, you could do both, but it's a much bigger payoff. I'm not saying you need to do both. Do the first one, maybe the second one, that's up to you. And your doctor. Yes, good point, Jess. Um, <laughs> Paul says, Paul said, he said, uh, where was it? Uh, I gotta get to the right one endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He called it an endeavor. It requires work, requires effort. Great relationships don't just happen. A great relationship with God doesn't just happen. You have to endeavor for it. You have to work for it. You have to plan for it. You have to schedule around it. You have to budget for it. You have to, you have to do all of the things that you need to do and say, this is a priority and this is what I'm chasing after and this is what I want to ex experience. People aren't just going to reach out to you and invite you to things. You might need to reach out and invite someone to something. Don't invite yourself to something, but you can invite them to something. It takes effort. It's not just going to happen all on its own. You have to put forth some effort. It's an endeavor. This word that he uses, endeavor, means speed or to do with speed, to make it a priority. Earnestness, effort. This is unnatural, so it requires the leadership of the Spirit. And so ask God to lead you. Ask the Spirit to lead you might even be to point out people that he wants to connect you with. And then you make the effort to make that connection. And what that leads to is the bond of peace. The bond of peace. This is what he wants to see in that church. It's what I want to see in our church. It's what we want to see in our life. The bond of peace with God, the bond of peace with each other. Literally, the word bond is, is the word joint or a ligament. It's what holds the bones together, right? Peace is what holds it all together. It's what holds our relationships together, but only when we're being humble and meek and patient. That's how we do it. And as we go forward in this year, we want to make sure that we are bonded together and that you have people that you're bonded together with, that you're bonded together with the Lord. So think about your own life and what you need to do in order to make that happen. It's going to be different for all of us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now and ask him to lead us through the Spirit, 
Father, we come to you and we recognize how you've created us. You've created us as relational beings. We are made to live in a relationship with you and relationships with each other. And um, sin messes that up over and over and over again. Our own, our own selfishness, our own self-centeredness, our own fears, our own anxieties, all those kinds of things, they, they, they isolate us or create relationships that are dysfunctional and unhealthy. And we experience that in our closest relationships, we ex- in the relationships we choose and the ones that we don't choose. And you see the mess. You see the mess. And what we're asking today, God, we understand that you want us to live together in the bond of peace, particularly with other believers. And in all of those relationships, we ask that you would lead us and show us how to be humble and how to be gentle and how to be patient as instructed by Paul. And that's, that looks different with all of us. It looks different in all of our relationships and so we need you to, to show us what you want us to do, how you want us to honor you. And so maybe, maybe the first thing is, is humbling ourselves. Maybe the first thing for someone here is to humble themselves before you for the first time right now and say to you that they recognize, say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner and I've failed you. And the only, I know the only way for me to be saved is in Christ. And so I trust Christ today to save me. His death and his resurrection, I trust in Christ. I believe in Christ. And as you humble yourself before God today and accept salvation, you are saved right now. You're saved. Nothing you bring to the table. You didn't earn any, any of it. And so then, God, we all walk together. Having made that decision, we all walk together. Continuing to humble ourselves before you and recognize that we are, we are your servant. We are here to serve you and love you and honor you and give you glory. So show us how we need to keep doing that this year. How we can develop our relationship with you and grow closer and closer in fellowship with you this year. As we look at our relationships, we've got people in our life that aren't committed to those three things or aren't committed to you. Lord, help us to be consistent in humility and gentleness. Help us to be patient and trust you with those people. And just to follow the Spirit and do in the moment what you lead us to do to help bring that relationship toward peace if possible in our relationships with each other where we are committed committed to humility and kindness and gentleness and patience. And we pray that our, our year is full of those relationships and full of those moments. For anybody who doesn't have those relationships yet, God, I pray that you show them the steps to take, to find them, to seek them out, to endeavor, to develop them. If there's anywhere we look and we feel like we've failed, we're not doing those things in those relationships, God, we ask right now for forgiveness. We want to follow you and do what you want us to do, so we ask you to lead us into that so that this year, more than last year, we can experience the hope and the depth and the height and the width and the length of that love and the fullness of you.
which is found in our relationship with you and our relationship with other people. So God, we're taking all of this and placing it into your hands and together as we prepare now to take communion, this is an act of unity to say we're in this together, we believe this together, that Jesus died for us and rose again. Father, we put all this in your hands for your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen.